Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening to you, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode of our Truth Tidbits. God bless you today as we continue reading through the scriptures this year. We are in the book of Revelation, and I would like to take today's episode and tomorrow's episode to recap where we are and to launch us into the next section of what we're going to be covering. And I want to give some credence and some preparation for that from the scriptures. And so to do that today, I'd like to recap where we are and explain just briefly one key element of where we're going. And then tomorrow in the next episode, we will pick it up from there. And then we will understand more about what we are beginning to study next, beginning in chapter 6. So today we will recap chapters 1 through 5 briefly and provide some transitory information that will help us beginning with chapter 6. So in doing that, let's consider this. In chapter 1 of Revelation, we see the risen Lord Jesus. We understand the call and the purpose for this book. I want to read Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 through 3 again, which summarizes that. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel, to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. So this tells us the call and the purpose in summation form of this book. First of all, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. There will be other things addressed in here, but keep in mind this book is giving us the full and complete revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the summation. It picks up where all of the rest of Scripture left off, and it wraps up the rest of the story concerning Jesus Christ and answers all unanswered questions. It tells us about the things that are yet to happen that will bring the completion of the revelation of Jesus Christ and his installation as king and high priest forever. We understand that from the things that are given in this book and the way they tie to the prophetic words that were spoken previously. We understand that this book is the only book in Scripture specifically having and holding within itself a special blessing for those who will read it, hear it, and keep or observe it, apply it to their lives, treasure it, and guard it. We understand later in chapter 1, he gives us the audience for the book. The initial audience were the seven churches. In other words, this is a circulatory book to be read and appreciated and understood and heard by all Christians. It was to the whole of the church. The seven churches that John writes to were representative 
of the whole of the church in that day. Revelation chapter 1 itself gives us the book's outline so that we understand its major divisions. In verse 19 of chapter 1, we see that John is instructed by Jesus, these are his words, write the things which you have seen. We just read in Revelation 1, 1 through 3, that John testifies to what he saw. So John is instructed to write what he has seen, that's chapter 1, and the things which are, that's chapters 2 and 3, at the time that John is writing this book, and the things which will take place after this. That references chapter 4 all the way through chapter 22 in a summary nutshell form. Now, as we go through, we will see there are some subdivisions within that of the things that are yet to take place. But the basic outline is given to us here, and it's in three parts. Chapter 1, the things John has seen. Chapter 2 and 3, the things which are. And chapters 4 through 22, the things which will take place after this. Chapters 2 and 3 reference the things which are, in other words, the things which were in existence at the time that John was writing this, which are the seven churches. And as we saw through the study of the seven churches, the purpose for the church is to give light. It is the menorah. It is the lampstand, the light bearer to the world. And so we are to give light by pointing people to Jesus Christ, the light of the world. And we are to proclaim the light of the glorious gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and what he has done for all who will believe in him and be born again. It references also the church age, because after these, there is a major transition of things that occur, and we move from the things that are to the things that are going to happen in chapter 4, verse 1. It's a major transition. And so we saw that as we studied this. We believe that chapter 4, verse 1 is one of the many scriptures that do support a pre-tribulation rapture. And I believe that there are four key things in chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation that prove a pre-tribulation rapture. And I've alluded to these in previous messages. I want to try to give you a brief explanation of those now. First of all, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. John hears the voice from heaven, from above, crying to him and says to him, come up here. We looked at that in some detail in that episode. That, we believe, will represent the rapture of the church. That's one of the passages, not all. There are several others in the scriptures that allude to that and that speak to that. We believe proving that to be true. But in chapters 4 and 5, I want to explain these four reasons. Chapter 4, verse 1 is the first one. The call to come up here. The rapture, the call for John to arise, to come up into the heavenly realm. 
Then, as we went through chapter 4, we looked at the 24 elders, and we see why, from Scripture, they represent the entirety of the church. The 24 elders have their thrones, they have their crowns, they have their white robes. Those also are indicative of rewards that the church is promised. And the 24 elders match the 24 courses that David assigned for the entirety of the priesthood. They represent the entirety of the church. If there will be 24 specific individuals, I do not know that. But we do know that the 24 elders represent the entirety of the church. And they are in heaven, in this throne room now, beginning in chapter 4, verse 1, and onward. And that's one reason I believe you do not see a reference to the church again until the end of the book of Revelation, when we come to the final instructions. And in those passages in the last chapters of Revelation, we also see the church then called the bride of Christ because then it's discussing the wedding and the marriage supper of the Lamb for the bride. So we see the 24 elders representing the church. The church is in heaven at this time. There is also the song of the redeemed. Only people who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ can sing that song. So that also is evidence that it is the church who is singing that song. The ones who are singing that song are the 24 elders. The church is singing that song because the church is the one who has been redeemed. Now, the last one we've not talked about yet, but I did allude to it in an earlier message. And that is the sequence of these events. I'd like to carry this a little bit forward more as we look at either the next episode or the second one from now because I really want you to understand why I believe this also proves it. But in summary form, let me try to explain it to you now. The sequence of events that happen, you have the throne room set up, you have all the players listed and the descriptions given to us in chapter 4 with part of the worship of the one who sits on the throne. Chapter 5, the search goes forward, and that is a necessary search because not just anyone can obtain and hold and take possession of the scroll. We saw the scroll. We looked at the seven seal scroll. We talked about what it represents as well. And only the rightful owner, the rightful one who had the authority, could hold and take that scroll, loose its seals, and begin to execute what was written in it. Only one could do that. And so there had to be a search for that one who is worthy. And as we saw, it is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, who is also the lamb that had been slain for the, for the world from the foundation of the world, the lamb of God that John the Baptist identified for us, who takes away the sin of the world for all who will believe in him. So we saw that Jesus is the only one worthy to take that scroll. Now, 
beginning with chapter 6, verse 1, we will see him, the worthy one, opening the scroll. But before he could open the scroll, he had to receive the scroll, take it. And, and before he could do that, the 24 elders had to be there in heaven. God has given us the sequence. So when you look backwards, so to speak, it proves to us also that there is a pre-tribulation rapture before any of the what we call tribulation events begin. There has to be the sequence because they begin with the opening of this scroll and these seals. And that cannot happen until the Lamb has received it and the Song of the Redeemed happens, the 24 elders are there. All of that is in sequence. And the sequence is given to us in chapters 4 and 5. So that is another evidence that by the time the Lamb begins to break the first seal, the church is already in heaven with him and has been worshiping him and singing the song of the redeemed. Praise be to God. We saw the throne room and God exalted. We saw the, the royal priesthood represented by the 24 elders, which Peter calls us as the church. So we see the definitions and the confirmation through scripture of what these are. We looked at the four living creatures in chapter 4 and 5. We saw the meaningful cry of worship and praise that they give to, to God on the throne constantly. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come because he's constantly working. He's constantly warranting a brand new, fresh, holy cry, rhema cry from those who are worshiping him, those four living creatures. We looked at the scroll. We talked about that that it's sealed with seven seals, and only the rightful owner, the one who had the authority, could open it. It was authenticated. It was written on front and back. And we looked at the search for that, and only Jesus was found worthy. He is the only one who is authorized and has the rightful due to that. I want to look at Genesis chapter 49, Again with you, we've talked about this in an earlier episode and we've read this entire portion concerning the prophetic word from Jacob for the last days for his tribes. And we saw the tribe of Judah and we understand Jesus came from the tribe of Judah. But I want to point this scripture out again and we're going to discuss it in a little more detail in the next episode. Genesis 49 verse 10 says this, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh or Shiloh comes and to him shall be the obedience of the people. So right there, we understand that Shiloh or Shiloh in this passage is a him. It's a person. It's referencing Jesus Christ. He is the one who is qualified, authorized, and the rightful owner to obtain and have and hold the scepter 
and to be the lawgiver. He is the one, and all peoples will be brought into the obedience of him in a coming day. Jacob is prophetically speaking of that. We are beginning to get into that time period, and I'd like to explain more about why this is true and this prophetic word from Jacob in the next episode and pick back up with this concept of Shiloh or Shiloh coming and to him being this rightful ownership. We understand the worship and the songs and singing and music that has occurred in praise to the Lord, to God on the throne and to the Lamb in chapter 4 and 5. And we saw also where it lauds Jesus' right and exaltation and ownership to take possession of the scroll and to loose its seals. And when he looses its seals, he will be executing its writings. We saw that. We looked at several scriptures concerning the scroll. We looked at Ezekiel chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, Zechariah chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, and Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And we can look at those again as we begin to actually get into this scroll and the loosing of its seals. Note that the scroll is a form of rightful ownership of something, title deed perhaps, Let's consider it also as the inheritance or estate rightfully belonging to Jesus. I'd like to begin to close us out by looking at a few scriptures in reference to that point. Let's first read Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet, now this is God speaking, Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. This is God on the throne, the Father, speaking to the Son, giving the promise it is his to claim. He is giving the promise of the son's inheritance. And then the rest of that chapter speaks to the kings of the earth and the people in that day and gives instructions for them to serve the Lord. Jesus is the rightful owner. It's his inheritance. In Psalm chapter 82, verse 8, it says this, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all nations. Here we go again. It is his inheritance. It is his rightful due. 
He even promises that we also will be a part in that and shall share in some way in inheriting the earth. There are many passages that speak of this. One of those is Psalm 69, verse 36. I want to read verse 35 and 36. For God will save Zion, or Zion, and build the cities of of Judah, excuse me, and build the cities of Judah, that they may dwell there and possess it. Also, the descendants of his servants shall inherit it, and those who love his name shall dwell in it. Psalm 37. There are many verses in Psalm 37 that speak of the descendants of those who love Jesus that will inherit the earth, the descendants of his saints, his saints inheriting the earth. Psalm 25 verse 13 speaks of that as well. I want to also look at Isaiah 54 verse 3 makes such a promise as well. Let's look at that one too. For you shall expand to the right and to the left and your descendants will inherit all nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. Another place is Isaiah 60, verse 21. Also your people shall all be righteous. They shall inherit the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. Here again, promise of the Lord's inheritance being all nations and a portion that he grants and shares in with those who love him. And in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 9, it says, I will bring forth descendants from Jacob and from Judah, an heir of my mountains. My elect shall inherit it, and my servants shall dwell there. Here again, more promises of inheritance and estate. Do you see, beloved, we are setting the stage because it is Jesus' rightful possession, Jesus' rightful inheritance to take possession, and we see this occurring now. And we will we must understand, we must understand that it is his rightful due. He has been prophetically promised to inherit all nations from God the Father on the throne. This title deed, this inheritance, this estate that he has given is his to claim. For his is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. His rightful due because he is Shiloh or Shiloh, the one to whom it belongs from the tribe of Judah, prophesied way back in Genesis chapter 49 from Jacob. I pray that this has been a blessing to you, and I look forward to the next episode when we will understand this more thoroughly and then continue through the book of Revelation, seeing what's happening when Jesus begins to take possession of his rightful due and how it plays out and why. I pray that this has been a blessing to you and Lord willing, you can join us again for these future episodes. God bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen.